This is episode number three with world-class drummer and music educator Justin Varnes. Welcome to Fader Jocks. My name is Brian Stevens, freelance musician and recording studio professional. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you grow and develop as an audio engineer, music producer, or recording musician. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Now let's push up those faders. This episode is brought to you by Waves Audio. Now I've used Waves Audio plugins almost every day for more than a decade now. And they're integral to the work that I do. And I don't think that I could do the kind of work that I do at the level of excellence that I strive for without Waves plugins. I'm a longtime user of the Mercury Bundle, the SSL Bundle, the Abbey Road Bundle, and they're always adding lots of cool new plugins. Now, if you go to faderjocks.com slash waves, you can check out their October specials, specials like their True Verb. It's a reverb I use on almost every single mix that I do. Regularly, it's 99 bucks, but if you hit our special link, you'll get it for $39. Or the VEQ4, just think V. Vintage Neve. Regularly, it's $149. You can get it on sale during October through our link for $39. Or if you're looking for a really big deal, they've got the Chris Lord Algae Signature Series of Plugins. Normally, that whole bundle's $399. But this month, if you hit faderjocks.com slash waves, you can get it for $99. I'm so happy to have Waves as our premier sponsor for the Fader Jocks podcast. So go to our link, faderjocks.com slash waves, and get in on the action today. Waves Audio, it's what the pros use. Hey guys, it's Brian Stevens. Welcome to episode three of the Fader Jocks podcast. I'm so glad to have you. If this is the first time you've ever listened, we've got two other episodes that you can listen to at faderjocks.com. Make sure you follow us. We're pretty much Fader Jocks on most all of the social networks. And uh, if you dig the podcast, please, by all means, tell a friend. And within the next couple of weeks, we'll be in iTunes and all the other podcast directories, and you'll be able to subscribe. So you won't always have to come to the website. But this week, I'm super excited about my guest, Justin Varnes. Uh, We're going to really dig deep into some concepts that really have not just been my theme for the week, but they really are my, my theme for life in general. And on this episode... We're going to talk a lot about learning and how we learn and strategies for learning um, faster or more effectively. Um, And who better to talk to than Justin Varnes? Uh, Justin is a local drummer here. He's based out of uh, Atlanta, but the guy's always traveling on the road playing drums behind a slew of different jazz artists. Uh, He's performed with Mose Allison, Kenny Barron, Earl Klug, Bob Reynolds, uh, Davis Sanchez, Phoebe Snow. I mean, good Lord, man. I could just go down the list of some of the the jazz luminaries that Justin has performed with. Uh, When he's here in town in Atlanta, you can regularly see him with artists like Audrey Shakir, uh, Kevin Bales, Mace Hibbard, Gary Motley. And uh, if 
if you go to Cafe 290, it's this little club in Sandy Springs, every other Monday night, more often than not, unless he's on the road, you'll find Justin playing with the Joe Granston Big Band. And I tell people when they ask me what that is, it's the closest thing to seeing uh, there's a gr- another great drummer named Tommy Igo who used to do every Friday night at the Village Vanguard with his his big band. And that Joe Granston big band here in Atlanta is just about the closest that you'll get to uh, a Friday night at the Village Vanguard in New York City. And uh, it's, it's an amazing band full of some of Atlanta's best players. So Justin also, he, he studied at the University of North Florida where he graduated with a degree in jazz studies and percussion, and then he relocated to New York City where he continued his studies at the New School. Uh, he studied privately there for several years with Jojo Mayer, and uh, drummers that are listening to this podcast know exactly who I'm talking about. But uh, Justin's also studied with a ton of other jazz luminaries, folks like Vernell Fournier, uh, Reggie Workman, Joe Chambers, Bunky Green, uh, just a slew of amazing, amazing musicians who are also great educators and today we're going to talk a lot about learning and that really is a pretty constant theme in my life but this week in particular uh, I finished two books I finished uh, Peak the Secrets from the New Science of Expertise by Anders Ericsson. If you've heard of the 10,000-hour rule made famous by Malcolm Gladwell and a ton of other uh, authors the research that that is based on is based on Anders Ericsson's research. And so he has a new book out called Peak, The Secrets for the New Science of Expertise. And, um, and Anders really goes in, in depth into what it really takes to be great at anything. Uh, so I finished that book this week. I'm starting a second pass on that one. I also finished a book called One Small Step Can Change Your Life by Robert Maurer, and it's a book based on the Japanese principle of Kaizen, which are these little changes that you make in your life, little things that you learn, little adjustments that you make, little rewards that you give yourself for constant and continual improvement. And the the third book that I'm I'm going through, obviously this week, because we've got new puppies in my house, I've been working on a book called Don't Shoot the Dog, The New Art of Teaching and Training by a great dog trainer named Karen Pryor. And I thought I was going to read a a dog training book, and it is a dog training book. But it really is, it's a people training book. It's it's a book that you would want to read if you would want to know how to best learn or train any anybody learn any subject train any person any any dog the one overarching theme of all of that and i've really learned it this week with uh continuing to raise these two new puppies that i have uh the themes that keep coming back man are consistency and repetition regularly making some um very deliberate strides in whatever area you're choosing to learn. And so we talk a bit about that today in my interview with Justin. Justin also has an amazing site called the Jazz Drummers Resource. We talk about uh, his home studio that he uses to record audio and video for those lessons. And I want to let you listen to a real quick clip 
I'm not even going to set it up. I'm just going to let you listen to it. Check this out. That's a track called Kailu from the album Swinging on the New Hammond by Matthew Kaminsky. Matthew is the organist for the Atlanta Braves. When you're, when you're hearing all those cool organ riffs at the baseball game uh, and you're seeing the Atlanta Braves here in town, you're usually hearing Matthew Kaminsky. And on drums is today's guest, Justin Barnes. He's an amazing, amazing drummer and amazing teacher. And on guitar there is Dave Stryker, who is basically like the guitar player for organ trios. He's, he's a great among the uh, current scene of uh, jazz musicians. And uh, so that album, Swinging on the New Hammond, is available in iTunes and Amazon. You can go get it. And it just so happens to be an album that I recorded and mixed a few years ago with these three amazing Musicians and Justin was very integral in getting me involved on that project. I'm super, super proud of that record. And uh, I listen to it over and over again just to listen to Justin's drumming. And uh, he's an amazing musician, he's an amazing person. And let's go ahead and get into this with my buddy, who's also an amazing drummer and an incredible educator. This is Justin Barnes. Guys, today I got my buddy Justin Varnes. He has come to the room above my garage, and uh, he's here for Fader Jocks. And as you already know, Fader Jocks is it's a podcast for audio engineers and uh, music producers or recording producers, but it's also a podcast for the recording musician. Uh, the person who, for whatever reason, has some kind of recording set up in their home uh, or their personal uh, space. And I've got Justin on this week because he does some very interesting, unique stuff, along with being a recording drummer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does some interesting stuff with his own space. We're going to get into that. But uh, Justin, feel free to tell everybody hello. Hello, world. Yep. We're in the room above my garage. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> All my time with you is spent in, in the in the basement, in the yes, garage. So yes. I'm, I'm, I'm moving on up. Yeah, you're, you're up on the third floor now, man. He's a George Jefferson of guests <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'll take it. Anyway, so I always like to start with what are your current income streams? How do you make money as a musician? Uh, and as an educator and all the things you do. As you well know, nowadays, uh, you you know, as a musician, you're best off 
diversifying. And uh, so I've got a bunch of different things going on at once, of course, uh, as, as, as you do, you know all about that. Mm-hmm. So one of them is I'm a band leader. I run my own, my own groups. I got a couple of variations of, of, of uh, jazz groups. So I'm booking jazz clubs and festivals and private parties and all that sort of stuff. So sure. that's an income stream. Um, outside of that, I'm also just a side man. I'm working a lot Nowadays, mainly jazz, um, but but we're doing some big band stuff around town, small group stuff, a lot of stuff in town, and then some and then some traveling as well. Where there's, I play, I'll play with a couple of artists either that live in the southeast, mm-hmm. and when they're on tour in this area, we'll go out for you know, uh, might be three or four days, might be a couple of weeks, or sometimes I'll get guys coming who will, who will fly into this area, and then they'll pick up a band, and we'll do a little tour, and then when they fly over to the northwest, they'll pick up a different band. Ah. So uh, there's all that. Then there's also, I'm, I'm teaching in several different places, uh, two different colleges. I'm at Georgia State University. Mm-hmm. I'm also helping out over at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so to, collegiately, I, I got those two things going on. I also just teach privately, teach private one-on-one lessons. And then outside of that, I'm also, I also have my own online teaching site, which is called jazzdrummersresource.com, where uh, I'm you know, putting up lessons, but also doing some correspondence lessons where I actually interact a little bit more with my students as opposed to just throwing up a, a random lesson and hope that they get something out of it. Right. So those are those are the those are the main things. So playing some as a sideman and also playing as a leader. And there's also a couple of groups that that when they uh, the couple of leaders that when they pick me up, sometimes I'll I'll do extra stuff where I'll basically be the musical director or the kind of the de facto tour manager for 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 that artist okay. for that little run. Help them organize a band. Mm-hmm. Help them put charts together. Help them um, organize. I might even I might even run a rehearsal or two before they get into town, and that's an extra little income stream as well. It's a right. nice little bonus if you can get paid to play the gig. That's great. But if you can add on a little extra for every gig mm-hmm. to be a musical director, to be an arranger, to have any sort of help in terms of organizing what's going on, right? It's a big help to the um, to the band leader. As extra little money that comes in, it, it definitely helps out. So let's let's stay on that topic a second because I don't think a lot of people understand. Uh, most people, I guess, would think that if you're contracted by an artist, that that artist knows their music more intimately than anybody else in the world. Why wouldn't they do all of that themselves? Simple, simple answer: time. Let's say this: some artist is coming out of New York, right? So they're in the middle of of wrapping up their own affairs. They're trying to get their plane tickets booked. They're 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 packing. They are in touch with all the venues. They are trying to get all of their own stuff settled, and they don't have time to necessarily fly in. Let's say two days early and play and and do a couple of rehearsals and go over the the finer points nowadays um the way the way things are are run these artists kind of puddle jump so they'll they'll fly like i said they'll fly into the to the southeast and then with with almost no time they have to pick up a band and by the way they can't come down here and say oh okay let me hear a whole bunch of bass players right no instead you know, it's a huge help to them if they can call one person and that one person can say, cool, send me the charts, like, you know, uh, give it up for Dropbox or all those other great ways yeah. where an artist can send a bunch of charts and a bunch of MP3s. No more faxes. Right. That you can't read in the first place. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And then run, and then off to Kinko's to copy them out, right? So um, that that extra little thing, it 
it saves them so much time. It's so valuable to them. And then on on my end, there's this thing where I, I'm, I can be more valuable to them, but I can also be more valuable to the musicians that I'm helping hire. Like say, hey, call this guy. He's great. I, I'm, I'm, I'm continuing my relationship with these other side men. Yeah. And I know their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and so, for example, let's say you have a bass player who's got great pocket. Mm-hmm. He's not the best reader. And then you have a piano player who's a great reader, but he but he but he doesn't react quickly to things if things change on the stage, right? I would know that that leader would not, that artist flying it would not. So I can set up those rehearsals and run those rehearsals and even help the lead artist. I can say, for the group that we have, these tunes are great. We might want to lay, we might want to like skip that tune, and I, you know, and that sort of advice. I, all the time I hear, man, that's invaluable. I would have never known that. Thank you. you know? Cool. So you're work, So that way you're kind of ingratiating yourself to to both sides. Okay. Cool. Well, let's go back for just a second mm-hmm. because to get where you've gotten and to operate at the level you operate, you had to have some kind of past education. Right. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you started playing and how you learned mm-hmm. up to this point. Well, um, when I was when I was uh, in high school, I played the trumpet, and I went to an arts high school, uh, Douglas Anderson School of the Arts, down in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, while I was there, I was learning the trumpet, and then I also started to get enamored with the drums. So I didn't become, I would say, a quote unquote professional drummer till about seventeen or eighteen. Um, till then, I was a trumpet player, and I would just basically before jazz band hop on the drums until the band director like yelled at me and told me to get off the drums. Everybody that watches this or listens to this that I went to high school with are probably the only people. No, I did the exact same thing all the way through high school. Really. Trumpet, no idea. Trumpet, French horn, <laughs> mellophone. You're a kidding. Bit of baritone. Yeah. Man, I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. There's hope. I can get to Justin Varn's level. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was awesome. thinking the same thing. Um, so then, but then I decided to obviously take it more seriously. I started taking private lessons when I was a senior in high school, and then I, and then I went to the University of North Florida, and I, and I auditioned on trumpet and drums, and okay. I got in on trumpet, but I decided over the break that I was just going to be a drummer. So I just showed up and, you know, they're not really paying that close of attention. (laughs) And so I just started playing the drums and everybody was like looking at me. All the students were like, how did they let this guy in here? So it was terrible. Um, So then I went to the University of North Florida. Then I eventually, uh, after that, I moved to, to New York. Mm-hmm. And when I lived in New York, I went to the new school and also took privately from from anybody I could get my hands on. And probably um, the two biggest game changers for me was when I was in college, I took from a, a percussion teacher named Charlotte Mabry. Mm-hmm. And she was the one that really opened the door in terms of, you need to understand more about how the brain learns so that when you're in the practice room, you don't waste any time, right? right? You don't keep repeating things that you don't need to repeat, et cetera. That, that opened up a whole world to me in terms of learning how to practice. Yeah. Uh, there's an art to that, right? Sure. Um, as you know. Uh, and then when I got to uh, the new school and got up to New York, I started taking lessons from Jojo Mayer and he kind of helped open up not not just that part, which I already kind of had a handle on, mm-hmm. but how to specifically translate that to the drum set, to the physics of the drum set, yeah. the physiology, the body, and how that reacts to the drum set. So th- those were probably my two like uh, watershed moments in terms of, of taking private lessons. Mm-hmm. But really, I mean, I've probably had... 
12 or 13 private teachers. And um, I've learned a little bit from all of them. And, I, and I've thought to myself for years, you, you know, if you, if you are constantly taking lessons and you're constantly trying to grow, sometimes you'll learn something that you won't need for seven years. Yeah. And then you're on some gig and that your light bulb goes, I'm so glad I took from that one dude that one time and yeah. he said that one thing. Yep. And so, then so from there, I moved, I moved back down here to Atlanta. So you went to college and then you moved to New York and you went, tell me about the new school. How is the new school an extension of college for you? Because most people would think college and you're done. Right, right. Well, I, I went, uh, it was kind of an interesting case. Uh, so I, I graduated uh, uh, from University of Florida. Then I auditioned at the new school because they were going to get their master's program going. Mm -hmm. They uh, accepted a, a small group of kids to basically start their their graduate program, mm -hmm. which is what I went to the new school for. But long story short, they, they, they called us all about a month before school started and said, uh, we hit a snag. We, it's not happening yet. We don't have a graduate program yet. But if you want, we'll keep your scholarship. You guys can come up and study. I'm sure we'll have it going pretty soon. Well, then they never, I don't know if they may have it now, but they never got it going. So, so I went up there and I basically did, I guess what would call what would be called postgraduate work. But, uh, in my mind, you know, I'd already learned from college that, um, Sometimes being a part of a, of a college program or a music program of any sort is a great uh, way to meet other artists, to have a place to, uh, particularly as a drummer. When I went to the, the new school, that meant I had a practice room available to me all the time, yeah. right? I didn't need one in my tiny little apartment in New York. In New York, that, that yeah. kind of space is hard to come by. Absolutely, absolutely. So that was, uh, so... But in my mind, you know, the process of learning is, is never going to stop. So when I went up there, I thought I want to take as much lessons as I could, you know, um, and constantly be growing. Because every time I took a lesson, I was getting better. So it seemed silly to me to stop that at any point. Past that postgraduate work um, and getting into now, how do you learn now where you're at and the level that you feel like you're at as a player? Well, uh, I st I'll still, uh, e either I'll take a formal lesson uh, or sometimes, you know, um, it, you, you know this well, like sometimes you and I'll just be hanging out or I'll be hanging out with another drummer. And now that I know I got a fairly solid foundation on not only how I learn, but also how to play the drums, you know, I can, I can lean over to you and say, hey man, so when you play this one groove, when you play halftime shuffle, like how do you do it? And, I, and you'll play it for me. I said, well, what about this? How about if it's slower? And you'll play a few things for me. And then I will obsess about the halftime shuffle for the next like month and a half, yeah. right? And it will be just all I think about. And I will see progress that way. Maybe not in other areas, but definitely in, in, in that one spot. And, and then I'll feel like I can look back and say that one time I was hanging with Brian, we talked about the halftime shuffle that's when I made a big jump on my halftime shuffle. And then for the rest of my playing career, as long as I keep touching on it occasionally, I'll have raised that one level. And if I constantly do that with Afro-Cuban grooves and independence and dynamics or whatever it is, I can just make these bumps in each of them kind of one at a time. For me, now that I have kind of a foundation, that's uh, that's been a very efficient way for me to learn, not learn 12 things at once focus on one tiny thing. And I, it's, I'm often picking that up either from a rec record, right? Mm -hmm. Or yeah, just from, from peers like you. If you say something, I'll, I'll start running with it. <laughs> cool, cool. Are there any uh, online resources other than obviously 
we're going to talk about your site in a little bit. Are there mm-hmm. other online resources that you use in your learning process? Uh, not really. I mean, I will. I will say one thing. J- just having. Um, like I don't have a specific one other than the fact that if I played the saxophone, it might not matter as much, but, uh, the drums, I mean, there's so much to learn by watching a drummer. Right. And so we have all these recordings. We listen to these, you know, CDs or whatever, and we can envision maybe what they're doing, but it's a whole other thing to watch a drummer just play over and over and over again is you, you're getting the visual as well as the oral and you can watch hand motion. You can see, oh, wow, I didn't know he played traditional grip. Or, oh, check out where his ride symbol is. So just in general, although I don't have a specific site, maybe I guess YouTube, but um, in general, um, I'll try to watch a lot more videos than, than, than I would have used to. That's been a huge game changer, I think, the online presence of being able to watch our heroes play. Oh, yeah. Well, I tell you, in the lessons that, I, that I've taken from you, we spent a fair amount of time with Jimmy Cobb. Yeah. And uh, and that style of swing or jazz drumming, and uh, even doing transcriptions and things like that. When he was here in town playing, mm-hmm. I got to see him play. And literally, like I wasn't much further away than you and I are right this That's moment. The way to do it, yeah, yeah. I mean, just right there, <laughs> right over his. I mean, like right. Yeah. If, if you can see pocket. this, yeah, yeah, basically like his <laughs> left back pocket. You could have pickpocketed. Yeah, 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 the whole night. And what I found so interesting, I, you don't really get that vantage point normally with people that are heroes. Right, right. People that, and I've spent between you know hearing um, Miles Davis for the first time when I was a teenager, all the way up till being in my forties and studying with you. I'd listen to a lot of this guy, and then to finally get to sit there and have all the stuff that. It was almost like a greatest hits, mm-hmm. like all of the the phrases and all the little isms that are specifically Jimmy Cobb to see them in real time with other musicians and to like you were talking about the touch and to like be able to walk up beforehand and kind of tap the cymbal a little bit and kind enough to let me do that and know what the cymbal sounds like when Brian hits it. And then, you know, an hour later, Jimmy Cobb hits it. Mm-hmm. And to hear that, n- not through a filter of microphones. Right. And, and as good as video is, it, it really doesn't always translate uh, what really happens live. Not and yet. that was such an eye-opening experience to get to sit there for four hours, however long it was, and get all the greatest hits of all these licks that I've been working on it and not just licks but vocabulary you know and and how he worked with these uh different musicians hearing that and then going back to my practice room and having those memories i videotaped a little bit of stuff on my phone but to have those memories it really i felt like it leveled me up in at least in my ability to understand Mm -hmm. oh okay well now that kind of makes sense or uh, when I would play along with some of those transcriptions, oh, okay, now it feels more like I'm in that moment. Mm-hmm. And now that kind of makes sense a lot more. 
Well, I think our, our brains are wired to learn by imitating, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that we both learned how to speak English not by sitting down and 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 studying verbs and adverbs at first, but we just imitated and and our brains are actually really good at that. I mean, for one of the game changers for me was when I lived in New York, Brian Blade played a weekly organ trio gig at Smalls every Wednesday night. I mean, when he wasn't touring, right? Right. And I used to go down there and the same sort of thing. I could pickpocket Brian Blade, right? One time his hi-hat stand was moving because he was hitting it so hard, yeah. you know? And I, I put my foot down and like kept, kept it in place, right? Oh, That's wow. how close I was. Right? <laughs> and I just obsessed over watching him play every week. And I would, I would go straight from there back to the new school and, and go to the practice room and basically do like my imitation, yeah. right? And I'm telling you, after a while, it, it started to flow out. We always think that, that we want learning to be something that's super obvious. Like, if I just do this four times, then perfect. You know, I have it, right? But, but to learn by watching, by experiencing, I, th- I think our brains soak up a lot more than we think they do. Right. You know, like I remember when I, when I was younger, I went, there, was a, there was a studio uh, probably about half hour from my house. Mm-hmm. And I used to go down there and watch, um, watch guys track all the time. And I watched drummers. And I never realized until then how hard some of these guys hit mm-hmm. to get these sounds on recordings, you know? But it was only by basically being in those rooms with those guys and soaking it up that way that I was able to pick up that information. In some of the stuff that I've been reading, some of the uh, Anders Ericsson stuff, some of the some learning tips that are um, more tied to things like neuro linguistic programming. Mm-hmm. I, I, for me, at least, I feel like there's some kind of emotional connection that you get when you see something happening. And I've gotten the same thing when I've taken lessons with audio engineers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, sitting in a studio while a guy's mixing something. Because whatever he feels when he's creating that soundscape, you can't help but feel mm-hmm. when you're there in the room. And there's, to me, I, there's something about that emotional connection. That's, that's where YouTube and some of the video stuff falls short. Correct. Uh, because you, you, there's a kinetic energy that happens in the room that uh, as a, a learner, right. it seems to stick more. I think I, I wonder how much of it has to do with um, getting more senses involved in in, in, in the yeah. memory process, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it might seem silly, but to be in a room, you know, we can all do it. Like this has probably happened to you. There are certain things that that when I eat, mm-hmm. it, it draws memories up, yeah. right? Right. So to be in a room with with an engineer or watching somebody record something or, or watching Jimmy Cobb. You know, all of our senses are firing and they're grabbing little pieces of memory. And that helps us when we go back home Mm -hmm. or on a gig six months from now, you know, you're playing and thinking like, I've listened to all this stuff. How come I can't recall it when I need it? So if you're there in person, you're giving yourself a a much better chance of recalling it by the fact that your eyes held a memory of it, your ears, you you know... your your nose, everything is taking in these tiny little bits of memory, and it helps you lock th- those memories into place when you need them most. Yeah, cool. Anyone that's ever taken a drum lesson, like just walked off the street and either walked into a music store or maybe set up a lesson with whoever the town teacher is, 
kind of knows how that experience goes. You walk in and you, uh, especially if it's a beginning drum lesson, you know, here's how we hold the sticks. Here's how we do this. There's a lot of 101 mm-hmm. and a lot of, uh, well, let's start at the, let's begin with the beginning. How is taking a lesson from a top-notch pro like a JoJo Mayer, whether it's a one-off lesson or a series of lessons, how is that kind of lesson different from just some dude at a drum shop? Well, I want to speak specifically to um, taking, at least for now, a Mm one-off or or if you know you're only going to get a handful of lessons, right? It doesn't have to just be one. I think one of the, because as I was saying earlier, I've taken so many lessons from so many people and a lot of them were one-offs or maybe two or three, you know, that kind of thing. And I learned early on, if you walk in there and say, um, okay, so, you know, what do you want to work on or, or, or what can you show me? What can the teacher show you? Yeah. You're going to start at square one. And as a teacher, I totally understand that. How am I going to tell you something if I don't know how you play? I don't know what you need. So my advice to you would be pretty generic. And you would walk out of that lesson feeling like I could have taken that lesson anywhere. I didn't need that guy to say that to me, right? I get it. Use a metronome and right, you know, practice your doubles. So what I've learned is if I want, if I'm going to take a lesson from somebody, I always walk in with a few things I want them to show me. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like let's see, let's see, I come to you and I say, okay, listen, I've got a, a bunch of studio work coming in, and um, and I feel like like something's out of whack in my, in my playing, and it's going to show up on in the studio. So I'll come to you with a specific set of questions, like how do you blend the kit when you're coming through your headphones or can you listen to my consistency? Yeah. Am I mixing the kit well from, from where you're saying that's a specific thing I could ask you that you're an expert on that you could say, okay, cool. I know exactly what I'm listening for. If I play something in my left hand, that's a little wonky, you know that that's not really what I'm here for. Right. And so you'll zero in on the problem I need help with. And to me, that's you. So, so, um, Jojo was a little bit because I took a, a I took a long time from him. So and I wanted him to basically remake my technique, and he did. So he just watched me play it first. But often I'll take from somebody specifically to say, um, you know, uh, you know, double time jazz or like my comping or or um, how do you move around? I need to move around the kit better. I'll pick something specific that I think they are they are an expert at, yeah. and then they they can speak to what they know mm-hmm. and and direct it to me. And often, sometimes I feel like I can ask, I can take a lesson and never play the drums in the lesson and learn a ton. I don't want to waste time like showing them like how I play and they can tell me things like, well, yeah, it sounds good. You know, keep working with the metronome. Yeah. <laughs> Here's that, you know, that's $150. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Accent, accent the second note of your double. Right. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> Guys, we're going to take a short pause, see if we can pay a little of that light bill and hear from some of our sponsors. And we'll be back with more Justin Varnes. You know, as good as business has been for me, as successful as I've been in my own music and audio-related business, um, business can be tedious. Business, at least the office part of it, 
It's not something I really enjoy. I don't enjoy sitting and invoicing and and doing all the kind of stuff that you have to do. But that's why there's FreshBooks. FreshBooks is a simple and intuitive system that lets you spend less time on paperwork. And the way it looks, you'll wow your clients with how professional all your documentation looks. You can automate time-consuming tasks like organizing expenses, tracking your time, or, or following up with clients after you've billed them using just a few clicks. And because everything's organized in the cloud, you can access your FreshBooks from anywhere, your desktop, your phone, or your tablet. It doesn't matter where you are, you can do the business of your business. And if you'll go to faderjocks.com slash FreshBooks right now, you can try it for 30 days. Invoicing, expenses, time tracking, even take payments online through FreshBooks. That's faderjocks.com slash FreshBooks. Try it for 30 days. I've been using it for years, and now it's time for you to use what all the cool kids are using, FreshBooks. Guys, anybody that knows me well knows that I'm always looking to increase my productivity and level up on the abilities that I have to do the work that I do every day. And there's one thing that I started using a couple of years ago that has really helped me put my brain in a completely different gear, and that's Alpha Brain from Onnit. Now, if you haven't already heard of nootropics, nootropics are dietary supplements that help support increased brain function, including memory, focus, and processing speed. So whether it's a work project, a social gathering, or some very athletic musical performance that you need to achieve, taking Alpha Brain is like adding an extra gear for your brain. It's a way to level up naturally. So go to faderjocks.com slash brain today and try Alpha Brain for 30 days. I've been taking it every day for the past few years, and I've seen a huge difference in my mental capacity to process and remember and be faster about thinking. Alpha Brain is all natural. It's herbal. There are no harsh or dangerous chemicals. So you don't have to worry about frying anything. You're not getting any weird, buzzy highs. They also have a money-back guarantee. They call it their keep-it guarantee. And this is how much they are confident about their product. If you try it and you don't like it, you just send them an email. They'll give you 100% of your money back, and you can keep the rest of that month. You don't even have to send it back. That's how confident they are. And I'm so confident, I decided I wanted them as one of the sponsors for our podcast. I really do think that Alpha Brain can be that extra little thing that you need to level up in your life and in your career. So that's Alpha Brain. Go to faderjocks.com slash brain. Try it for 30 days. Alpha Brain from Onnit.com. It's like getting a sixth gear for the sports car that is your brain. Do you have any kind of morning ritual or any any daily ritual that you do that includes your practice time? Is there any kind of structure that you 
Yeah. I, in your day? One of, one of the first things I like to do when I get up in the morning, uh, after I kind of get going, and I'll either do this before or after the gym, uh, when, when I can get to the gym, which is just for me is to, is to grab the sticks and, and hit the practice pad. Mm-hmm. Even if I do it for, I'm not kidding, like 30 seconds, yeah. right? I finally had this breakthrough where, where I, sometimes I would get up and I would be kind of running a little bit late. Now I think to myself, I don't really have time for that. Mm-hmm. So one day I tried this thing where I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do it for 30 seconds, just 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. And almost every time I tried to do it for 30 seconds, I was there for five minutes. I, you, you pick them up and you start doing this and then, Hey, yeah, this is fun. Let's, oh, well, what about my left hand? Then all of a sudden five minutes, I was like, Hey, I actually practiced for longer than I thought. But uh, for me, if I can just pick up the sticks and mm-hmm. and throw them a little bit and and essentially remind my fingers what the weight of the sticks are, how they bounce, and also I told you before about like if I start obsessing about a lick or about something like that, if I pick up the sticks uh, in the morning for the practice pad, whatever whatever little thing I'm working on, mm-hmm. I, I will I will end up working on some aspect of it on the practice pad. And, okay. and I think that kind of starts my day off right where I've already touched the sticks. Yeah. I've already practiced just even, even if it really is 30 seconds, there's this feeling I get that I'm, I'm already off to a good start. Yeah. And that seems all that, that seems to positively affect the rest of my practice day. Cause I, I kind of feel like I'm already ahead. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, that feeling when you're, you've got a, thousand things going on and you feel like, Oh, and I still got to practice today. I've got to get like, that's, that's negative energy, right? Yeah. Versus like, Oh, and I, Ooh, and I want to practice some more too. Yeah. That's a totally different mindset just from picking up those sticks early. So you end up getting some momentum just yeah. from that one little thing. That's it. Yeah. And you just push it. It's like kicking the can, I guess. You just, you just keep kicking this can yeah. of, of touching the thing. Do you, do you, have a pair of sticks in your car in the front seat of your oh, car yes. and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> and I, ha- I have them in the front seat of my car, and I have them tucked into the into the little pouch on on the back of my of my yep. seat as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I have worn out many a dashboard. I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask. <laughs> are you a dashboard guy? I'm totally a dashboard. I've guy. gotten I've gotten to this point now because last year I bought. I finally bought myself a new car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it was it was one of the few splurges that right. I've ever given myself. Is like, all right, this time instead of a, an eight year old car, I'm gonna buy myself a new one. And so I can't bring myself to hit the dash. Smart. <laughs> so so I've been experimenting <laughs> with practice pads. Like, which practice pads will sit in the seat next to me mm-hmm. for when I'm doing one kind of grip? Because we've been working kind of um, French grip kind of thing. Yeah. You could see on video, you could see me, I'm doing the French grip motion kind of thing. So there's some practice pads that are great for putting it right there in the seat. And then, of course, because I'm trying to work on my traditional grip, uh, I've got a different practice pad that will balance between my leg and the gear shift. <laughs> this is like the totally wrong thing to do <laughs> when you're driving. Oh or admit it. you're doing when you're driving. Right, right. But uh, yeah, yeah, I can't bring myself to hit the dash because, yeah, the last five cars I had, I couldn't even resell them. I just had to give them away. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've had a lot of people say, because I didn't start off playing traditional grip. I played match grip. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of people say like, well, how do you know, they'll ask me about my left hand about traditional grip. Like, how did you learn? And like, what exercises? That's the big one. They'll, they'll, a lot of people are looking for this like magic book of how to play a traditional grip, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm not saying it's not out there, but they, I guess they're waiting for me to say that there's a specific exercise that I did and all that. And I always tell them the truth, which is that when I, when I decided to learn traditional grip, mm-hmm. I kept a stick in my dashboard, one stick. 
And I would drive with my right hand and mm-hmm. my left hand, all I would do was just tap on the dashboard mm-hmm. and whatever song was playing, I would tap at that tempo and I would try to play eights or quarters or whatever I felt like playing. It never once felt like practicing right. ever, but I must have practiced the traditional grip hours at a time because I'm just driving around for 20 minutes and then 20 more minutes. I just yeah. pick up the stick and do it. And before long, I was like, yeah, I think I kind of got this thing. Yeah. You're just getting your reps in wherever you can get them, I guess. And I think that's huge. It's like it's almost like, uh, so if they made one of these for drums, um, like you know they, how how these how people will wear like a pedometer or whatever, yeah. like it'll, it'll count your steps throughout the day, right? Yeah. It was like you should you should get something that'll count your taps throughout the day, so you could just say to yourself, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna play a thousand taps." Right. Oh yeah. And then all day long, you're just like you're going to get in twenty here. You're waiting for you're waiting for your coffee to to heat up in the microwave, and you're going to get ten here. And before long, your hands have improved greatly. So the the guys that do the world's fastest drummer and that drumometer thing, mm-hmm. they need to take all their focus off of playing fast, and they need to give us something, put all that energy towards uh, something that will help us, like a step counter. Yes, that'd be much more productive because. Nobody on a gig cares how fast I can play. Mm-hmm. They just care if I can play. Right. And the can play comes from the reps. Absolutely. A large part of it, for sure. So all of a sudden, Fader Jocks has turned into a drummer podcast. <laughs> As if you didn't know that was going to happen when you asked me. <laughs> and, and of course, my friends like Zach Albetta and guys are going, look, we already do a drummer podcast. We right, don't right. need one. Now, the real reason that I really wanted you to, to get you here mm-hmm. Is is twofold. Um, we've worked together in the studio, mm-hmm. and I've recorded you in more of a, like a live concert situation as well. Uh, I'm curious, as a jazz player, how is recording in the studio different than playing live? Mm-hmm. With um, there are a couple of huge differences, uh, and I've done a, a fair amount of. Um, for lack of a term, pop or contemporary recording as well as jazz recording. And often when I'm in a studio doing um, like, a, like a more contemporary song, in some uh, aspects, I'm trying to craft a part, sure. right? So if we do a take and I play something in that take and we end up not using that take, there's a part of my brain that's like, oh, well, that's cool. I want to do that. Next time we get to that second verse and, and they sing that one line, I'm going to do that because yeah. you're composing as you go, you know? So it's, so sometimes you know for for us uh, sometimes the more takes we get the the more the more we like it because we get to craft an even better part for the song right yeah, yeah. Um, but in in jazz it's it's almost the complete opposite in that what uh, you know the spontaneity gets killed mm-hmm. the minute you start kind of for lack of a better term crafting a part you right. know when you say to yourself okay well, so if this saxophone player plays that again. I'm going to play that thing again, but he's not going to play that again. Right. Right. So um, that's a tricky thing to kind of navigate. Um, there are tons of, of jazz musicians, that, and I'm one of them, that believe that if it doesn't happen in the first take or maybe the second take, then, 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 then you got you to move on because um, so much of what we love about jazz is, you know, it's like when you go to watch a, uh, when you watch something where, they're improvising or it's live, right? Like a comedy show or something. Mm-hmm. That energy is is almost half the battle. Like you're you're trying to capture that energy that you feel on a live gig, right? You're, and it's palpable. Yeah. And the minute you start 
overthinking in the studio and trying to craft a part the, the minute you'll you'll take that away. So uh, live, however, that's that's why I much prefer to record jazz live because mm-hmm. you know also when I'm recording jazz live, I'm I almost forget that I'm recording and I'm just playing a gig. I'm in a very comfortable environment and I'm used to just whatever happens happens and then later I'll listen on the tape. Um, but uh, in the studio, one of the things I prefer to do on a jazz session is because of that law, like what happens if you don't make it that second time? Well, one of the things that, that I've, I've encouraged guys to do is when you're recording jazz, to record it like it's a set, mm-hmm. like it's live. So let's just say song A, song B, song C. Song A, we're going we're gonna to give it a shot. Okay, after that take, you don't do it again. You play song B hmm. and then you play song C. Then you go back to song A, song B, and you and you basically try to record things in sets. Yeah. So that way, by the time you come back to song A, you don't have that very fresh memory of what you just played. Right. And I've found that's been a big help. Cool. You So you, ha- you end up having the continuum, like I said, a continuum of what it's like to unfold and discover each other and discover the space and how things sound. And, but then by the time you get back to A, you're not really playing the same thing, but you're informed by all that other. That's cool. That's cool. If you want to check out a recording of Justin playing in the studio, and it just happens to be one that I recorded and mixed, you can go and uh, search for Matthew Kaminsky on iTunes or Amazon uh, or, or any place where you download music. And you can find, it's called Swinging on the New Hammond. That was a fun session. That was with uh, Dave Stryker on guitar. That was one where I played a gig that morning, uh, drove up here to do the session, and then left right from here to go play a gig that night. What was awesome is that uh, <laughs> it's the best to do a, a recording session uh, for for a studio engineer who happens to be a drummer. Cause when I walked in, I had these like awesome Gretsch drums to play on. I could sit right down. They were already tuned. They sound great. You know, that was perfect. Is there anything that you have to do to keep your mental stamina? Cause we're not talking about playing, uh, Mustang Sally right. three times across a 16 hour block. Right. We're talking about music that you really have to focus and be in the moment for. Mm-hmm. What do you do to keep your level of attention uh, through an entire day like that? Uh, any chance I get, I'm trying to uh, sit in silence because uh, I've, I've found, uh, and I'm sure you probably have experienced this too, you know, when you have kind of a, a busy day and then you go try to either practice or play a gig or, or re- do a recording session, it could just sound like noise in your head and you feel unfocused and, and your brain's all jittery. And so for me, for example, the drive from the gig to the recording session, mm-hmm. it used to be that I would try to cram for the recording session and listen to a bunch of organ trio, try yeah. to get in the headspace and all that. But what I've now learned through experience is I'll, drive, I'll make that drive in silence, which is weird for me. Yeah. But on those days I have to do it because by the time I show back up, my ears, my brain, I've, I've given it a chance to rest. So then when we hit, hit that session, my ears had still had something left. And then when I drove right after the recording session, and also in between takes, mm-hmm. when if something w- would happen and we had a couple of minutes off, mm-hmm. I'd usually like walk out of the room 
or go out to my car or something and just take a second and, and let silence mm-hmm. kind of settle over me. I found that has really helped on these days where you have a double or a triple. Yeah. Otherwise, by that second or second to last or last set, I'm, I, yeah, mentally, you nailed it. Mentally, I'm fried. Yeah. I find, at least for, for the kind of music that we're talking about, the, the gigs that I do. Now, the gigs I do are different from yours. Mine are corporate Oh, I do you all know, that stuff. <laughs> the, you know, wallpaper gigs. Right, they're wallpaper right. gigs. Yeah. But sometimes by the end of the gig, even I feel I feel kind of fried, as if like, and I've got a lot more vocabulary now than I had you know, before I took started taking lessons from you and started using your your website. But even even now, I still get towards the last few tunes on the gig, and I feel like. It feels like noise. It feels mm-hmm. like I've said everything that I could possibly say, mm-hmm. and there's nothing else really to say. Yeah, yeah. So silence. I think I'll have to try that in between sets, even. Absolutely, absolutely, like, absolutely. I, I will, if I can. I will go out to my car. Mm-hmm. I, that way, I'm not talking to anybody on the set break. Mm-hmm. I can just sit in my car in silence. I like slow breathe a little bit, and and as silly as it is, it really does help me get through. A long gig, or definitely a gig, where I, a day where I'm doing doubles or triples, and it's it, it has helped me in the studio because you know you can pull a eight, ten, twelve hour studio day. Oh yeah, and and halfway through you can already start to feel the not only physical fatigue but but like ear fatigue kicks in, right? And then I start playing louder as ear fatigue takes over, and then it's just a it's a slippery slope from there. Cool, cool. So the other reason that I wanted to get you here, normally with engineers, I would ask them about, you know, what's their favorite piece of gear or something like that. But what I wanted to talk about today, you have something that's very unique and very singular to you. Um, in your home, you have a small studio set up and also a video recording set up that you use for your website. Mm-hmm. So first, let's talk about the website and then let's talk about the setup. Okay. Uh, so the, yeah, the website is called jazzdrummersresource.com. And I put it, the, the impetus for putting it together was I, I was teaching a bunch of uh, private students uh, and I kind of had a, a handful of them, some of my favorite students, all move out of town about the same time. Oh, okay. And so we we discussed like, oh, you know, like I wish there's some way we could still do lessons and whatever. And so, you know, I got, so I started like, they would send me issues that they would have. And then I would shoot like a little video lesson of doing it. Yeah. Right. And through that process, I realized like I should like be cataloging these lessons. Yeah. So that was kind of how I started to put the website together. And then from there, so I'm posting uh lesson, like video lessons, but I'm also trying to post things that, that are, are, just, not just about the X's and O's of drumming, mm-hmm. but about jazz. So, so that so that drummers understand how form works and how even harmony and all that sort of stuff works. I want it to be like a resource center for them. And then the other aspect of it is, I want to actually do what I was doing to those those first several students, which is that actually have correspondence with all my students. So I know how they play. Mm-hmm. They're not just, they don't just log in to watch a, a random lesson, right. which they're more than welcome to do. But I want them to send me clips. I want to make a lesson for a specific drummer who who's on the site. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but it's, it's, it's been a great experience so far. It's the only site that I've found. There are a lot of drum lesson websites, and now it seems like a lot of different drummers, professional drummers, mm-hmm. 
or putting together sites where they can sell video lessons. But the one thing that's so singular about your site is that it's the only one that I've found that is comprehensive specifically with jazz drumming. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the others are more technique-focused or they're uh, focused on certain kinds of contemporary drumming right. or athletic drumming. Sure, sure. Not that the stuff that, believe me, having practiced the stuff that's on your site, it, it can be athletic it, just in the, the physicality of having to practice this stuff. But um, it really is the only site that I've seen that is solely dedicated or primarily dedicated to um, to jazz drumming and that art form. Uh, so it's a it has been a great resource. We were talking about continuums earlier in practice, and there's a, a nice organization and continuum to the way the site is set up, to where you can jump in at any point. Or like um, I jumped in the other day, uh, kind of out of sequence with this Alan Dawson stuff mm-hmm. that you put up and some of his his phrases because yeah, yeah. I'd heard some of that. Mm-hmm. And I thought I I want that I want to want I want to know what that is and just the serendipitous I guess is the the word it just kind of happened where here's this thing I heard I thought man I need to ask him about that jump on the site and there's some lessons specifically about that and so it was cool because you can just sort of jump in or um, you've started doing some lessons with guest drummers mm-hmm. like Chris Burrows where right. we talk about Afro Cuban um, as great a drummer as you are. Why would you bring in somebody else and have them do a lesson on your site? Well, for for, for lots of reasons, as you as you would know, but the um, you know I'm trying to focus on uh, what I do best or what my passions are when it, particularly when it comes to jazz, and I have certain things that I've spent a lot of time working on and researching. You know, uh, Elvin Jones is somebody I've spent, you know, decades on and I, I, I feel like I have something to say about him. So there are other people who have spent all the time I've spent on Elvin and jazz and, and trying to also understand the musician side of being a drummer yeah. of jazz drummer, right? There are, there are other guys who've spent that time on Brazilian drumming or Afro-Cuban drumming, mm-hmm. right? Uh, for example, I'm going to get you in to do a, a whole session on studio drumming. Cool. It's one thing to play jazz. Mm-hmm. All the stuff we were just talking about, what happens when you bring that, all that stuff you've been working on, on jam sessions or whatever, and you have to, <laughs> then all of a sudden go in the studio and your bass player is in your, headphones not just yeah. right next to you right so because you're an expert at that and i'm not i've done it mm-hmm. right but not to the level that you have and so it was great to bring chris in because he understands afro he spent as much time on afro-cuban drumming as i've spent on jazz drumming and in the end what i'm most concerned for the people for the members of my site is that they are growing and in, in any and every way possible so right. if i were to um try to show them Afro-Cuban stuff by myself, I would show them a pretty watered-down version. And I can picture another drummer who was really good at playing the, the generic drummer. I'm not mentioning anybody specific. <laughs> but like some generic drummer who, who plays something really well. Yeah. And they've studied a little jazz. And if they tried to show somebody jazz, I would say, oh, no, 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 you're not, you're not doing that right. So I didn't want to be that guy. Yeah, you yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Uh, I wanted to let somebody else who actually was an expert in that do it. And, um, and, and, and Chris is definitely that. So we had a great time. And I have to be honest, like p- part of it is selfish because in him showing <clears throat> quote unquote, 
my students how to do all this Afro-Cuban stuff. Right. I was soaking it all in. Like he basically shot out those lessons for me. And so yeah. like I'm watching my own videos on my own lessons just so I can like learn the stuff from him. That's cool. That's cool. Well, it's kind of like why am I doing interviews with people? Well, because I get I get to glean knowledge. This some of the stuff we wouldn't be the kind of stuff we would talk about if we just hung out. Right, right. Yeah, you know, if we grabbed lunch or something like that. So there's all there's all this cool knowledge that you just get is sort of the side benefit yeah. in trying to, to help other people and yeah. doing what they do. That's cool. That's cool. So let's talk about your setup for recording in your house. Yeah. So um, because I'm not doing any studio recording other than just stuff where I'm shooting lessons um, or I could um, record something, you know, like a, like a, um, a standalone drum track and, and email it to somebody. Right. Mm-hmm. So my setup is fairly simple. Um, I'm, I'm, I've got a, I've got a Mac and it's got studio one on it. I'm just running a very, very simple studio one, uh, software. And then out of that, it runs to a, a Presonus 1818. Mm-hmm. And then out of there, I run, um, a mic on the bass drum I run uh, one, actually just one direct overhead. Okay. And then uh, a mic on the snare. Um, and then I have two mics, a mic for each of my Tom, because I, I play a four piece in this setup. Mm-hmm. But because I'm doing specifically jazz, all the mics are a little offset. Like yeah. I don't have the bass drum mic in the bass drum. It's, it's, you know, it's a couple inches away. Sure. And I just have that one overhead mic. And for me, in, in the little space that I am, I've got a, I drilled a hole in the ceiling with a little hook mm-hmm. and then I just drape the mic cord down from there. And because of that, if I'm in a situation where I'm going to play a lot softer, mm-hmm. I can reach up and actually gently tug the mic down yeah. and it'll get a little closer. And then I'm going to play something a little louder. I can back up and I can grab the slack basically and pull it and pull the mic up just a little bit. Okay. So it's a nice, easy way to adjust without having a thousand like boom stands and, and all that. But it's a pretty simple rig. And then I have I also have just outside of camera shot, I've got I've got a, a vocal mic mm-hmm. uh, that picks up my my speaking and as opposed to having kind of the lapel mic, which I also think works well, but I tend to be fairly demonstrative when I'm speaking yeah. on camera. So it's nice to have a little distance so I can I can speak loudly and gesticulate and not have to worry about hitting yeah. the uh, lapel mic. And what about the video part of it? What are you doing there? So I got um, I run three different cameras. I, I run a um, a fairly simple uh, Sony a- HD like handheld camera, if you will, and I've right. got it set up in the corner of the room. And I basically it it, it takes an SD card, mm-hmm. and so I just load up the SD card and then record right on the SD card. Mm-hmm. Same thing. I've got another one. I've got a um, Panasonic. Same thing. Like a pretty simple handheld but HD camera. Yep. I've got a um, a hole drilled into my ceiling, and I got a little. Basically, you've seen these things before. It's almost like a. Um, you know, you'll see how uh, people will clamp. Uh, or suction cup a camera to the side of their car, yeah. like if they're like a rally driver or right that kind of thing. So I have basically that setup mm-hmm. on my ceiling, and then it comes out, and then I and then I attach the camera from there. So I have a nice overhead shot. Yeah. And then recently I added a third camera, which is actually just a um, uh, it's a zoom, actually one of the zooms that you recommended, right? I think it's Q4, I think it is. Yeah. And uh, I've got it set up. Um, basically behind me to my right Mm -hmm. so that for a drummer's perspective, they're looking over my right shoulder. Cool. So I've got an overhead shot. I've got a direct shot for when I'm speaking. And then I got a shot kind of from my right shoulder so that for depending on what it is I'm, I'm discussing on the drums, I know I've got an angle that will cover what I'm dealing with. 
Okay. And how do you edit all that stuff? As I said before, all three of those just have SD cards. Yeah. So I'll pop out the SD card and then go, go, go back to my computer. And then I, uh, I'll insert each of those. Obviously, I'll edit the audio. Right. right? So the, the audio itself is, is, um, is coming from Studio One. And I'll edit those audio tracks mm-hmm. separately and mix them down. Then I, I'll open up, I, I use Final Cut Pro Temp. Mm-hmm. So I'll open up Final Cut Pro. I will drag in, I'll put in one SD card, drag in the video. Mm-hmm. And because I've got the, the mics on for my video cameras, the sound quality is terrible, but, but the audio is there. Yeah. And then as I drag that in, as I drag in the, the, the video, I also drag in the audio from Studio One that's, yep. that's mixed and professional sounds good. Yeah. Then when I put them into Final Cut Pro, I can sync them using the audio. Yep. And that's a super, super simple fix for me. They'll immediately sync up and I'll do the, and then I'll drag in the other two camera angles, yep. make a little multi-camera uh, file basically. Yeah. And then I'll just, when I start to edit, I'll just hit, I'll hit play and I just keep my fingers on the buttons to switch between the three cameras. Yeah. Do you tend to record a batch of lessons and then edit a batch of lessons? Or do you have a, a weekly schedule that you're on? How, how is that logistically? How do you do that? Yeah, I, I definitely have a schedule. I used to not have a schedule. Oh, okay. And that was absolute chaos. I just thought like, oh, I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll get, and then, right. And then all of a sudden two weeks would go by and I wouldn't have any content. So I, I had to discipline myself to have a schedule. Okay. I prefer to shoot in batches for sure. Cause you know, as you know, as you know from being in the studio, like you can get on a roll, yeah. you get in a certain headspace. So um, what I usually do is I, I I plan. I've also learned how important that is to pre-plan. Right? Mm-hmm. I used to just go in and, and wing it. Yeah, uh, and with sometimes disastrous results. <laughs> so um, uh, which would obviously cost me more time than I thought it was going to save me. Right. Uh, so I'll pre-plan on Monday. Yep. I will shoot on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Wednesday is my big teaching day at Georgia State and Georgia Tech, so so Wednesday's off. Thursday I edit, mm-hmm. and then Saturday I post. I, p- I post on my site. That's my schedule. Oh, cool! And that's unless I guess unless you're on the road. That's that's your schedule like clockwork. That's my schedule like clockwork, and and it's, it's spread out like that. So say for example, like. You know, uh, if I have, if I've got a studio session on Tuesday or a long rehearsal, something I know that's going to conflict with, Mm -hmm. with my, with my shooting day, that's okay because I can shoot on Thursday and I can edit on Friday. You notice I left Friday out. Yeah. So Friday is kind of my cleanup day that, that allows me because, you know, earlier you asked me about all the different income streams there. You probably know this well too. You have this image in your head, like, okay, next week my schedule looks flawless. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and then you get like a call and then a text, and then this happens, and then you gotta get your oil changed. And it's like it's Friday and I got nothing done, right? So I've I finally built in an extra day. So Friday is whatever I did not get to, I will clean up. And then the other thing is I I've gotten better at looking at my schedule and say, mm-hmm. okay, in two weeks I'm going on the road. Mm-hmm. So I will batch shoot so that I will get all of that stuff done. Mm-hmm. I'll even get them not 
I, I won't publish them on my site, right. but the posts will be, so I'll have four, six posts all ready to go. Yep. I finally learned that the hard way, yeah. not, to, not to wait to the last minute for that. And then when I go on the road, I can just open up my laptop on Saturday morning, go to my website, click publish, mm-hmm. close a laptop and go back to being a touring musician. Cool. So just with a little bit of pre-planning, a little bit of pre-production, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you can get yourself in some kind of mode where there's things you can get ahead yeah. when you need to. That's cool. Are there any online tools or or just software tools that you use to keep yourself organized? You know, um, I have a really simple one actually. It's it's a it's a journaling app of all things. Okay, it's called Day One. Mm-hmm. It's and. I'm not one who um, in, ends up digging into apps or software nearly as much as I should. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of a skimmer. Yeah. So this one works out because it's super easy to use. It's called, it's called day one and, and you can set an alarm where it reminds you to quote unquote write in your journal. Mm-hmm. So I have mine set for 11.04 p.m. I don't know why I just ended up being the, the something, you know, the, the time to do it. And an alarm goes off. And then when that alarm goes off, the app opens mm-hmm. And I just type in my to-do list for the next day. And then the next morning when I wake up, I just open up that app and mm-hmm. whatever's on that list, I start with the very first thing. Yeah, I put a little check mark when I'm done and I move down the list. And I always set it up in priority so that I know that by the end, so when my alarm goes off the next night, let's say I had six things on that list mm-hmm. and I got three of them done. I just copy over the three things that I didn't get done, and that's the beginning of my list tomorrow. And what that does is that allows me um, some flexibility if I don't get everything done, yeah. but it's a steady and constant reminder so that I, it's one thing to get a day behind schedule. What you don't want to do is get four days behind schedule. Yeah. And that app has helped me immensely. Cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. I know that you love Elvin Jones a lot. Is there a particular drummer? That whose recordings and uh, live videos that you've seen that just inspires you. It becomes kind of a well that you go back to. Well, there there are several, but I'm going to focus on one. Okay. Um, one that one that sticks out to me because it's kind of a weird fit for me, and that's Steve Smith. Okay. So um, I, I've always been a fan of Steve's playing in terms of like hardcore jazzers or whatever. You know, there's there's tons of great jazz drummers who 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 I love, but there's something about the way that Steve Smith. I mean, it, it's this weird thing where it's like the totality of it. He's how he sits on the kit. Yeah. The way he explains things, mm-hmm. no matter what he's playing, the sound of his kit mm-hmm. always immaculate. Right. I do not set up like him at all, but there's something so <laughs> visually pleasing about his setup. Yeah. It just looks organized and it is a constant source of inspiration. I will actually watch his, I'll pull up a, whenever I'm feeling like kind of lost at the kit, yeah. even though Steve and I don't play a lot alike, whenever I feel kind of lost at the kit, um, I'll watch one of his videos. I've got a couple of his, of his instructional DVDs. Yeah. I'll just watch him play for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it is. It, it all just feels like he's got so much stuff together that it's just, it's a well of inspiration. It always like m- makes me go like, yeah, I should, I, I need to watch my posture and I need to, I need to watch my hands. And like, man, I love how clean he plays or he gets such a great sound. And just those kinds of statements get me thinking about 
my sound yeah. and my technique. But it's more, his playing is phenomenal, but it's the whole package that just make, just inspires me. Kind of a template for you. Yeah, but that's what I mean. It's kind of weird. It's it's not like, I mean, it would, I guess it would be like if I were, um, if I owned a barbecue restaurant and I loved barbecue and all that sort of stuff, but every now and then I would like go to this guy's taqueria and it would just like inspire me to come up with new dishes, even though none of them were going to be right. Mexican. Right. That's hard to explain. But, you know, it'd be like you walk into the taqueria and it's like not at all set up like how your, your restaurant is set up. Mm-hmm. But you're still inspired by how cool it looks and, yeah. and the whole vibe, and then you're you're like re-energized, and you go make some more barbecue. Cool. So let's let's flash back for a second and think about when you were when you were still playing trumpet in high school mm-hmm. and just getting into playing drums. Um, what would what would that kid think about Justin the Justin Varnes of today? Uh, I think he'd be sad at how much hair he's lost. That'd be number one, I think. Um, I, I, I think he'd be pretty happy with, with with where things are. Back then, he was just learning about drums. He loved. He, he was playing in jazz band on trumpet and mm-hmm. loved jazz drums, but knew nothing about it. Uh, and it was definitely his like dream to be uh, be a full time musician. And so. Um, uh, I've got lots of things I would say to him <laughs> if I could go back, yeah. but uh, but yeah, I, I think he would be. I think he'd be happy with the fact that that's what he wanted to do is was be a drummer his whole life. Yeah. Um, but um, I think he'd probably be surprised at how how that actually has translated in terms of um, yeah, the whole like there's going to be something called the internet and it's, yeah. and, and you're going to put up lessons on a website and people, right. Uh, that part probably would have blown that tiny, tiny mind of his. Is, is there anything that you could, you could tell him now that uh, would maybe save him some time or, or, or steer him in a direction that's more di- more direct than maybe you went? I, I tell you one thing I would tell him is that back then I was playing in, uh, like an original rock band. I was, I was playing in a cover band. I was playing in um, in uh, jazz bands. I was playing, um, I played like in a Zydeco band. I would. Mm-hmm. I, I remember playing a, like with some blues guys. And I would tell him, uh, yeah, keep doing that. Yeah. Like as opposed to, like I eventually started to specialize. Mm-hmm. But early on by playing just any and every gig and get my hands on, I, I've, I'm always surprised at how often I'll be on some gig and there'll be something that I have to play. And I'll think like, man, I'm so glad I took that one Klezmer gig because yeah. I would have never played this right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're looking at, let's say an 18 year old Justin. And let's, uh, let's say that um, it's 2016 and you're, you're that age again. And you have your hair again. Oh, keep talking. Keep talking. I like this. And all you have is your drums and your cymbals. You don't have any of the work you've done. None of the recordings, none of the gigs, uh, none of the contacts. You've got your drums and your cymbals. You've got the tools that you need to do that. Uh, you've got a MacBook Pro and you got a thousand bucks. What are you going to do to get started and headed in the direction that an 18-year-old Justin should go now? Ooh, okay, starting over. Got it. Uh, let's see. The first thing I would do besides just, well, the first thing I would do is practice as much as I could. Mm-hmm. I would go out 
to as many jam sessions as I could. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I would use that MacBook Pro to uh, set up a YouTube account, mm -hmm. which is free. Yep. I would get myself a WordPress or Squarespace site, which is also practically free. Right. Um, and I would buy myself probably like a Zoom or a GoPro or something like that, something super inexpensive mm -hmm. um, for the for the value of it, right? And then I would record all the gigs I did, mm -hmm. and I would um, record myself practicing, and I would start to to use the live contacts I'm having, I'm going out and playing gigs or I'm going out and, and doing jam sessions, getting people to know who I am mm -hmm. while I'm doing that in person, I'm building an online portfolio mm -hmm. so that when they say, Hey, this little 18 year old kid can almost play a blues shuffle. And I, and I give them my card or they know my name, right? And I'll set up a, a Facebook page and I'll get my social media stuff together. Cause all that stuff is free, right? Yeah. So, then after they hear me play, uh, but they only heard me play one song or whatever, then they'll, they'll go to one of my, whether it be Facebook or whatever, and there are some clips of me playing and mm -hmm. they can hear what I'm working on and how professional I am and, and get a good sense. They'll, they can read a little bit about me. And just that social media presence alone can, I think could have really helped 18 year old Justin, you know, jump some hurdles, if you will, particularly... Yeah. Um, having, you know, very little money. So I, I would be recording myself like crazy. And then I'd caution myself um, about overexposing myself on all these media sites, right? But um, because there's a fine line, I think, between um, becoming, a, becoming known as a, like a self-promoter right. and having a, an online presence. Because, I mean, I, I know a ton of, of opportunities that have come for either me or other people um, where somebody will have, well, I'll get an email and I'll say, Hey, you don't know me. I'm from Minnesota. I'm flying in. I got mm -hmm. some gigs. I looked you up on YouTube. Mm. And then I think to myself, Oh my, I don't even know what's on YouTube. <laughs> right. I remember that. I remember that one specifically. I was like, I don't even know what's on YouTube. Right? <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't even thought about that. Yeah. And that's when I kind of woke to the fact that, Yes, people will go to Facebook and go to YouTube and go to your site to determine whether or not they should call you for a gig. Long gone are the days of cattle call auditions with drummers lined up, right? Yeah. Instead, all that's done in the privacy of the lead artist's home. And so if somebody's going to do a recording session, they're going to look you up first, mm -hmm. and, right? Um, and so they're going to have vetted you online. So that's what I would tell my 18-year-old uh, self is use these free tools to set up your professional presence mm -hmm. so that when somebody hears your name, they're not going to call you and ask you to come down and, and, and audition. Mm -hmm. They're going to audition you with, with their keyboard. Gotcha. So with with that thought in mind, with, with an 18-year-old Justin, if he's trying to decide um, the best route, say, right out of high school, I know you teach at now to two different colleges. Is college a viable choice now, considering where the music business is and how gigs are? Or should somebody go a different route? I mean, what what would you suggest? Or is there a way to make a best decision that's a tough question. Because um, college is expensive if you hadn't figured it out. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, I, know. I, I know. 
Yeah. Uh, and I have a nine-year-old daughter, so I'm saving in the process for, for, for said college in the future. Um, well, yeah, I've been teaching college for a while. Yeah. And um, I run across a lot of musicians. A couple of them I've actually pulled aside and said this to, but a lot of them, I just, I just think this, I think, what, what are you doing here? Like, like how much money are you throwing into this to get a degree that is, is not worth the paper it's printed on. Right. Right. So there's, there's definitely no one answer to this because some people, they need the structure of college. They, in other words, they are not good Mm self-starters. They need me or somebody to kick them in the pants and say, all right, do this or do this, or they'll come in and they've got all of the desire in the world. Mm -hmm. They just don't know what to do. And they need someone to say, practice this, come in next week and all that. Those, for those people, college is, is, is great. Right. Mm -hmm. But for those, for, for those people who are just, they want to just be artists. Right. And, they come to college hoping that college is going to teach them how to, to, to be an artist. Often that level of learning, as you know, happens on the bandstand. It happens in the practice room, right? So there is something to be said, and this, this isn't, doesn't work for everybody, but there is something to be said for a musician to figure out how much college would cost. Mm-hmm. Set aside that money and then say, I'm going to use this money to take private lessons to get the proper gear to do whatever you do. So I have the time during the day to practice. Right. And, and then outside of that, use whatever else money there is to go see concerts. Mm-hmm. You, you, you want an education in how to play a blues shuffle, spend money to go watch a great blues band. Yeah. Go see them again. Go see them three times, four times, and then go back and practice. And guess what? That was a semester's worth of how to play a shuffle. Right, right? now, so that absolutely doesn't work for everyone. But I, I will tell you that the only other advantage for a musician to go to some sort of school like that, let's just say college, there is one real big advantage, which is the people you meet there. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Like I said, it gives you, as I was saying earlier, it gives you a practice room. It gives you instant um, people to play with. You're, you're doing sessions. You're, you're in class with people. You're surrounded by music. There's a lot of value to that. However, there is a, there, that's, only, that's limited to how much you put into that. And what, what I worry about with, 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 with people nowadays is considering like when I, when I went to my old days, when I, when I went to college, College was two grand a semester, right? Right, and so, yeah. I mean, that's like some some schools. That's not even their like athletic fees per semester, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, if you need that structure, mm-hmm. if if you say to yourself, "I've got all the fire and energy in the world, but I just literally don't know what to practice," then school is really good. Mm-hmm. If you're the type that already knows what you want to do, mm-hmm. you already know how to practice. Um, and, and you want to, you want to just dive into this head first, you might be better off not having tons and tons of debt because when you graduate after four years, that piece of paper will actually not get you anything. I've never gotten a gig because of where I, well, check this out. I've never gotten a gig because I graduated from a particular university or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
I've gotten tons of gigs by going to those schools and meeting those musicians. And then those guys I met at school, I would eventually tour with and they would recommend me for this. Matter of fact, most of the big gigs I've done have somehow come through school. So um, I know that's a a pretty varied answer and that's for a reason because there isn't a right or wrong, but there are definitely people who, who are going to waste their money going to school. And there are other people who it's, it doesn't matter how much it costs. It's, it's, it's worth it. It's the right move. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to kind of figure out which of those people you are, you know, and when you're in school, Mm -hmm. you may find in the middle of school that "Mm, this isn't for me. And although it may seem uh, like a weird thing for a college professor to say, if you feel that like, at least take a semester off. I did that with a couple of kids. Take a semester off and you'll either realize, oh, I got my practice time back. I'm motivated. I'm no longer like sleep deprived because I'm working on theory. And I've had other guys being like, oh no, I need school bad. Like I didn't realize that now I have a renewed sense. I'm refreshed and I'm attacking it a lot more. Cool. Is there any advice you could give somebody who may be looking at a school for how do you choose the right school for you? Perfect. So a lot of things I just said, I went to the new school. I had a bunch of different schools I was thinking of going to, yep. right? I chose the new school because I went and heard them play. Mm-hmm. And the students at that school sounded like I wanted to sound. Hmm. And I met them and there was just this feeling, this vibe, like these are the guys I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna work with. Yeah. And in my class was Robert Glasper and uh, Bilal and all these great, artists now who did the same thing. So you can pick a school based on the, now, no, they weren't there, right? They were like me, look, they were waiting and, and like looking at the school. And then they heard they, if you hear the students, if you meet the students, that tells you what you need to know. Because as I said, those are the guys who will eventually get you gigs and you will gig with. Yeah. So um, I think the actual student body, go hear the bands. Mm-hmm. And take a lesson with the, the private teacher on your instrument. Right. You'll, if you take that lesson, you'll either completely click with them and they'll say some stuff and you'll say, oh man, that's, I totally didn't think of that. But that's great. I can't wait to study with you. Or you guys are going to, he's going to say some stuff or he or she's going to say some stuff that kind of confuses you and you didn't get a whole lot out of it. Well, guess what? That's what your listeners are going to be like <laughs> for the next four plus years. Right. So, so take a lesson from, from your private teacher and go listen to the ensembles at that school. You'll either feel like home mm-hmm. or it'll feel f- like, like a foreign planet to you. And then you should trust those instincts. Cool. Man, I appreciate you coming and hanging out with me. Yeah, man. Yeah, this, thanks for having me. This was a blast. Yeah, this is kind of a different a different mode for us, and um, it, it serves a, a different purpose for for the show because it um, it it brings something forward that a lot of people don't think about in in being a recording musician is how to how to marry the recording musician with the educator, mm-hmm. and then maybe how to tack on a few extra skills like video editing yeah. and um, project management. Yeah. There's a skill that a lot of musicians don't really ever either learn in school or learn in a lesson or read a book about. Right. Uh, so I want to acknowledge you for, for being a great template that other people could look to 
to uh, create something that's very singular. I, I know there are a lot of things about what you do that are very inspiring to me, and taking lessons with you has has been great. Uh, whether it's been, we've had periods of time where we've done regular lessons and um, times we've done one-offs, and now because of the site, the site's cool because it feels like, for me at least, it feels like I still get to take lessons with you regularly. <laughs> right, right. They're just these bite-sized chunks. So um, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you for pleasure. everything that you do. Keep doing what you do. It's awesome. And likewise, and, we need to keep doing this. Um, how can people find you online? So uh, for the site itself, it's jazzdrummersresource.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also, uh, find me, I've got a YouTube channel with the same name. And then as far as I have my own just personal musical website called J- uh, justinvarns.com. Yep. Uh, and then you can obviously find me on YouTube there as well. You can follow me on Twitter and, and, um, I'm on Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, those are probably the, the best ways to, to dig me out. Cool, man. Well, thanks for coming and hanging. My pleasure. Thanks, man. As always, it was a great hang. So guys and girls, that's my buddy, my own teacher, and someone who inspires me an incredible amount, Mr. Justin Varnes. Make sure you hit faderjocks.com slash JDR for Jazz Drummer's Resource. And you can go directly to his video lesson site, Drummers, if you're looking to study jazz drumming. It's the site to go to. I mean, there, there is no other site like it on the net. It is a, it's an amazing place to study that very particular style of drumming. Uh, make sure if you want to hear more of Justin's playing, please go to iTunes or Amazon.com and buy the Matthew Kaminsky record, Swinging on the New Hammond. And if you're in Atlanta at any point, uh, you can... Find Justin on social media. He's pretty much Justin Barnes everywhere. And find out if Justin is playing somewhere. You have to check this guy out. He's amazing. Uh, And if you got a ton, I hope you got it. If you were listening, if you have two ears on your head, you, you had to have gotten a ton out of that episode. It is chock full of knowledge and salient Uh, sage-like advice. Uh, I was so glad he came to to talk with with us today. And uh, make sure you share this with a friend. If you got a ton out of it, please share this with uh, all your friends on Facebook, on Twitter, however you share your stuff. Email a friend, call a friend. Just call a friend and text a friend. Say, faderjocks.com. Just listen to it. Just don't just do nothing but go listen to it so i hope i hope you see how enthusiastic uh, this has been a great episode uh also please visit our sponsors if you go to faderjocks.com slash waves faderjocks.com slash fresh books or faderjocks.com slash brain you can uh check out our sponsors for the podcast check out some cool offerings that they've got and anything that you buy from them it helps support the show so that's all i got for you this week guys it just keeps getting better Uh, and next week i've got another amazing guest that uh you're just gonna get more stuff every single week thanks so much for hanging out with me 
I'll see you next week. And until then, let's go out there and be awesome. Awesome.